Hey everybody, this is Tony with Only Yesterday. Um, unfortunately, we experienced some technical difficulties in the recording of this episode. So, here is what you missed. Today's episode is on recovery. We have our very special guest, Jacoya. We covered the sources. Um, what is recovery by Kevin Montez, Jelly Tucker et al. by um, found on PubMed, um, the National Library of Medicine. Motivation to Maintain Sobriety Among Residents of Sober Living Homes by Rachel Korcha et al. Um, again, the National Library of Medicine. We used the book uh, Seeking Safety by Lisa Najvitz. So we define what substance use is. And for the definition, I place a caveat um, that I used the definition of alcohol use disorder. However, um, it can be interchangeable with many other disorders. Um, so the symptoms of alcohol use disorder include, but are not limited to, uh, the psychological correlates of alcohol use, which are tolerance, craving and symptoms of withdrawal, um, the issues relating to lack of control over alcohol use, over alcohol use include drinking longer or larger amounts than intended, unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control drinking, some of the problems that result from alcohol use um, include failure to fulfill role obligations, social and interpersonal problems, as well as use of the substance in situations that can be physically hazardous, right? Um, we say, what is recovery? Um, the definition that we used is a process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential. Um, our podcast mate, Adam, his definition is the process of healing the brain, body, and soul from substance use. Um, the next portion that we begin into is the modes of recovery. Um, we discuss a bit of detox, um, which is a hospital or medical setting that allows for patients to gain sobriety with the help of medication. Thank you for sticking with us. The show must go on. And here's the rest of the episode. Enjoy. Just mentioned detox. Just talked about a little bit of detox, right? Um, there's also inpatient um, recovery, right? Like the residential where you got to, your ass is there. Yeah. So that's like the next step where you go and you stay. Um, recovery is a lot easier if you're in a facility or like an institution where you can like, there's no accessible drugs and stuff and you have like therapeutic support 24-7. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I actually work at a place like that. Oh, nice. I don't work in the residential part, but it's connected to our facility. So I work with a lot of the therapists to the step-down clients that are coming out of recovery or coming back from the residential. I work with those. Okay. So what would be like a typical day of yours working with one of those clients? Um, we just talk about like if they have a parole officer or a probation officer, we talk about how they're doing with like meeting with them. Mm. We check in. We deal with trauma we talk about urges and stuff we talk about the resources they need um a big part of it is connecting them with resources because addiction costs a lot of money just like to the pocket of the person using like they don't have no money you know so like they need to rebuild their life they need like job training but they need to find employers that will respect like their history of you know substance use or whatever and not like just turn them down so we have like case managers to help them find that kind of stuff. Right, right. Okay, cool. Word. Have you have, have you been in like inpatient residential type treatment? No. No? 
word. Yo, just holding it down. And then there's outpatient. That's pretty impressive, though. I mean, yeah. how did you do that? Like, how were you able to kind of, like, that takes a lot of strength, you know? Yeah. So, and that's one thing I get a lot at my work. Like, where did you go? Where did you go? And, um, like, I kind of told you a little bit earlier. So, I don't know. I don't even know if you know. I figured you guys did know. So, even when I was in college at the U, I was in my addiction. And when I got pregnant, I, I was like, oh, okay, I can't fucking keep using, right? Mm. And um, so, I joined the U of U Collegiate Recovery Program. Yo. And, like, like, I didn't tell them how fresh I was in recovery, especially, like, being pregnant. So, I was really anxious about that. But I did keep going. But, like, within two months, they had voted me into vice president Ooh. of the whole thing. And oh, so, shit. like, that was, like, a, I think that was, and, and we'll probably talk about this more later, that was just something that reconnected me to a sense of worth, which is why I was using, right? Mm-hmm. And then I also got into therapy, and um, obviously I wasn't at, able to a whole lot when I was pregnant, but medication management, that's, like, a big one for yeah, me. Yeah, that's, so we have our clients um, do that. That's, like... One of the things we offer, so they come in, they get their shot, or they get their Suboxone or whatever they have, you know, monthly. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge, like, that's it's a lifesaver. It's like managing the urges. It cuts down on the cravings, you know, so. Right. Yo, um, luckily I haven't had to experience that. Me neither. So I can only imagine how difficult it is to pull oneself, like, through that. Like, yeah. Like, that should crazy well and i just want to clarify my i I never did they call it mat right medically assisted treatment Mm -hmm. i didn't do suboxone or vivitrol or subucate or any of that i mine was mental health meds oh that's awesome let's go yeah in the building mental health is important yeah for sure and speaking of mental health um because hopefully anyone who's listening, well, I mean, not really. Hopefully, fuck. I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to clip that. So uh, <clears throat> don't don't clip. Well, I like it when it's not clipped. It's raw. <laughs> Speaking of mental health, uh, there are usually connections between trauma and substance abuse. Hella like connection. Like holy shit, we're just starting to discover stuff. Kind of connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially considering like how fresh the field of social work really is. Like yeah, in comparison to the other fields, right? And I'm side tangent. We don't get a lot of funding compared to other like social sciences. So like, we're still figuring out shit because it's hard to prove. Like, exactly, <laughs> it, and that's another. Okay, last last little tangent, real quick. Okay, so the fact that everything needs to be documented, even though the the relationship that you have with your client, right, like the the rapport that you're building with them, you can see it's real. You can see what they're going through is like genuine. Why is it? that I need to go through all this fucking bullshit bureaucracy, like put down on this piece of paper to send over to this person, to send to this person, to see if we can get approved for this to happen. If you hired me to trust my professional judgment to help this client. Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, based on what this person is saying, and if what they're telling me is true and I want to believe it is, they need X sort of help. Let's get them this help instead of having to X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, I could answer some of that. I mean, fucking. You asked the question. We're we're talking about it. Okay, um, with Suboxone and stuff, there's people that misuse it and sure, they sure, get sure. high off of it. You know, it's actually like I can't remember exactly. It's like if you have a certain amount in your bloodstream already and you use more, it actually gets you high. Yeah. So, yep. don't use this idea. By the way, that's just saying that's what people do. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're looking for recovery, you're going to separate yourself from addictive seeking behaviors, and that's an addictive yeah. seeking behavior. For sure. For sure. Yo, facts. Fucking facts. Yo, so PTSD and um, substance use disorder often co occur. Um, 
that's really a loaded sentence. Like, honestly, there's so much, there's so many different forms of like PTSD that one can have, or rather so many different sources Mm -hmm. of PTSD. Yeah. Um, and so again, which is what I find fascinating about human interactions, like the variables, the differences, the, the ability, like you can put someone in a situation and, based on that traumatic situation they're going to instead of use substances they're going to say hey, i'm going to go praise the lord or i'm going to go um work out you know what i'm saying like and so i think it's i think it's fascinating the uh the ability fucking what people do shit people the, the, are interested diversity there's diversity. diversity thank you fucking hey yeah so yeah <laughs> the 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 connection between trauma is pretty and substance use is pretty like it's huge like seeking safety the modality you mm-hmm. know by Lisa Najovitz, like that's like the gold standard for um, treatment, you know, because with PTSD and substance use together, you can be sober and makes your PTSD worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or you can have, you know, it just, they, they go back and forth. So you have to treat both of them or else they kind of, you're just going to s- circle, you know? Mm, okay. So a big part of that is. You can't do a whole, like, there's, you have to be careful when treating the trauma. They don't trigger it so, like, that they have substance use, you know? So it's like this delicate, like, balance of. It's literally one of the most delicate balances. Yeah. And you, it's it's one of the hardest, like, way, it's one of the hardest, like, treatments to do because, you know, more substance use leads to more traumatic situations, whether it's, I don't know, um, being abused when you're high or whatever it is, you know? getting kicked out of somewhere like that's traumatic, you know? And so it's just, you have, you have to kind of stop both of them at the same time. Right. So you got to make sure to not like downward spiral. while. That's exactly. So it's like, it's seeking safety. So you want to get out of the situations that aren't safe, like the abuse situations and get into safe situations, you know, and just doing like the bare minimum to stay safe and heal the PTSD at the same time. So it's a very, it's a very difficult, um, process but it's possible for sure yeah so jacoya what's kind of like how's trauma played an impact in your recovery um like impact in the recovery or in the addiction both both um so i'll start with the addiction it was uh definitely what had disconnected disconnected me from people you know i i don't want to go a lot into the details but i had a super horrible upbringing where I was never, I never lived anywhere long enough to have like a parent to child bond. Um, and I lived with multiple people and that went until the age I was 18. And so that was in it in itself, extremely traumatic. Right. And then there was physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, emotional, uh, psychological abuse, um, by family members, by strangers, by my siblings. Um, I'm shaking my head right now disapprovingly. If you, y'all can't hear it, but... That's fucking wrong. It, that is just... I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That's just bullshit. Yeah. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. So I... Um, I mean, I lived really rough and tough, right? And I, I would watch other people and how they kind of dealt with what they dealt with their life, right? And what was going on with them. And mm-hmm. for me, it seemed like, at least when I was younger, right? Like I'm talking like 13, 14, because that's really kind of when addiction became a thing for me. I'd used before that, but it wasn't really addiction. 
But um, I would watch these people. I'd watch my sister, um, and I would listen to their stories about using or watch them while they were high, and they just seemed so much happier. And I was so dark, you know, like my whole life. Everything seemed so dark. And so that's what, like, got me into it. And then obviously, like, there is some real legit changes to your brain once you do start using substances and abusing them and then having prolonged addiction. So it the control was definitely gone after I let addiction kick in. But it was, like, initially it was just to, like, feel good and mm-hmm. and self-soothe and and fit in you know what i mean yeah and that brings up kind of the biopsychosocial aspect of it because it's like you said like family members you know if you have family members it increases like the likelihood that you're susceptible to whatever substance you know and um environment for sure like growing up in a rougher environment where it's normalized or where that's the only coping skill available it's tough to make it out there without you know catching like getting you know caught on something you know some type of substance so yeah yeah Yeah, being and it's a big influence Mm -hmm. heavy influence like gangs as well yeah absolutely it's so much easier to like find yourself in a gang if members of your family are already in one for sure and i cannot like over um emphasize like the importance of human connection Mm -hmm. Because like you were saying, like growing up in a childhood where you're unstable, don't have like a, that's a big part of addiction is that I, I do a lot of like child, inner child work, like healing the inner child. Right, right. Basically with the PTSD is you didn't get that nurturing or that love or that acceptance, you know? And so your attachment, you know, that you learned, like the self-soothing, you didn't have like those same, those same coping skills that somebody with two ideally two loving parents would have, you know, like right, right. it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's rough out here in these motherfucking streets. Yeah. Facts. To say the least. To yeah. say the absolute least. <laughs> Yo, uh, so next we're going to uh, step on over to motivation. Um, and this one is regarding the uh, research done at the sober living home studies or research regarding these sober living home studies. Um, but I can only imagine these can also apply to people who are not in a sober living home. Um, so focus group participants uh, pointed out that there were significant costs for many residents if they didn't take action to deal with their substance abuse, like financial issues or legal interpersonal costs. Um, and several house managers have described the motivation process uh, where they initially the motivation was focused on the negative consequences. Right. They they call this a deficit motivation. Right. So now we're focusing on the things that I'm going to be losing if I maintain this, um, if I mean this, maintain this freaking substance use. Um, however, in order for the resident to succeed over time, there needed to be a switch to growth motivation perspective, which is finding work, like we were talking about earlier, like finding work, re-engaging with your family, um, developing in one's own interests, um, hobbies, keeping yourself fucking busy, personal development type shit. Um, so I wanted to ask, because I've, I'm not going to lie. I be scrolling through Facebook sometimes and not like, I see you at the gym and stuff. I'm like, yo, she out here doing it big. That's what's up. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about your, your growth motivation. So instead of focusing on, oh, I'm going to lose this if yeah. I, you know, do that. Like, how did that come to you? And like, how are you in that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I, a big part of my recovery, and there's other things, but since you brought this one up first, I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, 
my working out and my fitness and the whole lifestyle that I have to build around it is one of my primary motivators to stay sober. Um, I started getting involved in the gym when I was in the community college and I worked at the gym and I loved it and I worked out at the gym and I loved it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, um, uh, when I was going into, uh, well actually I got into a relationship and the guy was in the military and he was like super fit and active too. And like, there were some things that I took away from that, that I was like, cause I'd never been with someone like that before. You know, it was definitely a unique person for me to date, but, um, I took away a lot from that and I was like, oh man, okay, cool. And when I broke up with him, I, I like begged him to let me take his insanity discs. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have everything else. Just give me the insanity discs. Because it's like 200 bucks for that thing. And, and at yeah. the time that was a, a lot of money to me. Right. And so I was like, please just let me take this. Like, please. And I was actually like in going into a pretty pretty bad relapse, full blown, full blown addiction, which is one of the reasons why that relationship ended. But, um, when I did sober up and, you know, cause I had my, I got pregnant, stopped using, gave birth to my daughter. And once I started healing up a little bit, um, I decided that I wanted to, um, start doing that insanity stuff again. Right. Okay. And so that's like legit what got me into it. And fucking, um, I started running at the park across the street from my apartment. Like I would figure out my schedule to where I would either like run with my daughter in a car or not a car seat in a stroller, or I would do it like after I'd run her day to daycare or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I ended up meeting this girl, like I was running around the park and I was having a hard time being motivated, which is kind of interesting. And, um, and so I decided to just let Mercy go play cause she wasn't really feeling the whole running around the park. And, um, anyway, I met this girl and her name's Cynthia and her son's a month younger than mine. And we just hit it off. Like it was like, she's my soul sister, dude, like soul sister for sure. And, uh, we, she's like, Oh, you know, like you're really inspiring. I can't believe you're out here working out. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm really just trying to get back into it, you know, and I'm, I do it every day I can. And, you know, some days I don't have the strength to do it or just don't want to, but I'm trying to. And when I became friends with this girl, we just like fed off of each other. Cause like when she would have a hard week, like with her relationship or her child and she was like, oh, I'm really struggling to work out. And like, bitch, let me see a picture. You better be lifting them weights. You want to see <laughs> right. something? Let's go. I'm pulling you know? up right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hopefully you don't try and work out with me. Cause there would be just pictures of me sitting in my house playing super smash. Bros. <laughs> oh, she's pulling up to pull your ass out of that bed. <laughs> I know, I'd be like, go, go. But anyway, yeah. And then, um, and it was just working out at home, right? I had a couple of different programs that I had collected. Uh, the main one that I really liked was that Insanity, just because Shanti is delicious. And it was a really good workout. <laughs> Shouts out to Shanti. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, and, and then this one day she's like, she started buying all these workout outfits because she's super bougie, right? And that's something that like I'm trying to get into too. She's from <laughs> trying to be bougie. Yeah, she's out in Cali. She came from a rough, rough and tough ghetto upbringing too. And both of us were like, let's get on our bougie game. Like, yeah. let's step up. <laughs> let's get the fuck out the hood. Like, you know what I mean? Let's like, level up. yeah, let's level up, and I'll help yeah. you, girl. And so that was like, it was awesome, especially because like a, a lot of my first bit of sobriety I was pretty alone you know because I had to cut off all the bad influences I couldn't 
be talking to people. And plus I had a lot of like brain healing that needed to be done. We can go on that later. But anyway, yeah. So she ends up getting all these outfits and stuff like that. And then she's like, Kay, she's like, you should come with me to this gym. And fucking, I'm like, all right. And so I end up going with her to this gym and she's like 300 bucks on the table. Like I'm getting a membership. And I was like, all right, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I guess I got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, what am I going to do with this money, Jacoya? You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. so ever since that, I feel like that's really, really, really kicked off those posts that you've seen with me because before it was just like motivating myself, motivating my friend, um, trying to work around my baby, you know what I mean? Like incorporate her into the workouts sometimes because I just, there was no way not to. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to this, private gym this bougie private gym that's super super nice and started taking classes and stuff and um it's started this whole different connection for me like fitness was important to me always has been it's been something that's like helped with like body image uh issues that I've had and stuff but like going to this gym I've built so many really cool connections with personal trainers because my membership has classes and Nice. That's cool. Yeah. And it's like I've had a couple of times um, since getting my gym membership, um, like where I've like wanted to relapse or I've been struggling because uh, I, I still drink occasionally and it's probably not a good thing. Um, I feel that I do have some sense of control with it, but I still lose that control at some point if depending playing, on what's going on in my head. Playing with fire. Yeah. I'm playing with fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that... I never work out when I drink, you know what I mean? And so that's like one thing. And I have trainers that like, if I don't go in, they'll be like, where were you? Where were you? (laughs) Yo. I want 20 burpees. Right now. Before you even walk in, before you walk in, I need 20 burpees. So I got got a question for you. I'll tell you a little story. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I was working with a client the other day and they said this like, I need to make a t-shirt of this. But they're like, yeah, I'm sorry I missed our appointment. I had the case. The, like the fuck it's like just mm-hmm. fuck it all like i had a case of the fuck it's um have you been in that stage before with recovery <clears throat> oh yeah the fuck just it. the ambivalence you know what did what was your like how did you change from you know the negative motivation to the positive like what was your first negative motivation um negative motivation um like punitive like uh, i gotta be recovery i gotta recover or this is gonna happen kind of thing oh the the deficit yeah deficit motivation well i think being a single mom the biggest fear is i'm gonna lose my kid um that's and that's huge right like um because i haven't really had a connection with a human being like i have my daughter she's the first human being in my life that i've had the connection and the love and the just pure genuine connection um that hasn't been tainted by a shit ton of trauma, right? No, for real. So that's like the big negative. Yeah. Okay. Yo, so now that we're on, you know, just reliving moments. So just just for the record, the rest of this episode is just going to be like kind of like an interview type of thing. Cool. Because I'm, I'm interested. Like we got freaking, I'm sure at least one of our listeners is interested in this yeah. type of stuff. So when was the moment that you realized this shit was not for you? Like you woke up or you were still awake or whatever. And you were just like, I fucking can't, I just can't do this anymore. I think it was something that I don't think that moment necessarily ever came. It was, um, a collection of moments like that. And it was usually like after really fucked up shit, getting my stuff robbed or, um, putting myself in a situation where I regret it and felt gross about it for weeks on end. You know what I mean? Or um, 
just like when I was pregnant, I was huge. Like I had watched a lot of moms use during their pregnancy and I just didn't want to be that mom. So it was a collection of all of those times and the ability to cycle that through my head uh, to combat temptation. Wow. Wow. So it's like a whole, it was an entire fucking production, like just a collection of events. And you're like, yo, I, something needs to change. And yep. you ended up, you know, finding the strength within you to make that change. Yep. Or at least begin the first steps, which is the next part. First steps on your journey. Fantastic. So, um, as comfortable, uh, you, you got something? Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Um, what is it like, you know, experiencing trauma and going through the substance use and trying to get sober at the same time? Because I remember there was some trauma there. Yes. What did, What would you recommend for people that are going through that? Because I'm asking just like to be a better therapist to yeah. know what to tell people when they come in. And yeah. I definitely think um, identifying the trauma, right? Identifying the roots, really trying to get, because addiction is just a symptom. That's what I believe. It's It was a symptom and it was a symptom of my trauma, and I had to identify the different traumatic things that had happened to me. So even in my position and through my recovery, right, like I joined the collegiate recovery program, but I also did therapy, and I did med management, right? And I did the therapy to address the trauma um, because I think to really, really give yourself the best chances of success and long-term sobriety, you really need to address the reasons you were even there to begin with. Mm. that's perfect like that's what i do you know i try to to kind of address like not just the use but like what kind of needs weren't being fulfilled in your mm-hmm. life at the point so yeah. that's that's perfect yeah yo perfect segue what needs were not being met in your life right so when as much as you're comfortable with sharing um any of your relapse stories right when some need that you were needing wasn't being met and you're like fuck it here it goes yeah um, I always, always it had to do with connection. Um, it had to f- feel like disconnect from humans, right? Oh, um, okay. not feeling like, like even the friends or people that I knew or that, like I, there was, I just felt so different, so abnormal, so strange, or just so unable to connect with other people that it was just like, nah, fuck it. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Case of the fuck it. Yeah. Yo, and so that's that's something I hadn't really thought of before. Like when I when I think about trauma, right? We usually focus on like the the effects of the trauma. We usually focus on the trauma itself, be it physical, like emotional, psychological, whatever. But someone says I'm not connecting with humans. Like that. Wow. Like I've, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that before. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. So what kind of what did, what kind of therapy did you do like for the trauma? Did you do EMDR or? Yeah, I did EMDR. EMDR was not my favorite, but I also don't think I had a really good practitioner. Um, but um, I've done a lot of psychotherapy, talk therapy. Yeah. Um, I also kind of on my own side, and it helped that I'm a social worker and that I've studied human sciences or social sciences and, and psychology and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, I did my own like trauma workbooks and uh, CBD type things. Um, and I would really, really take that time uh, either in therapy or on my own accord to really, really break down and critically assess what was going on and how I could move forward and process what had happened. Yeah. that's That sounds like, tough. Like... Mm-hmm. Did you ever have moments where it's like, fuck it, I'm, I'm just going to use because I can't deal with this 
Uh, this story running through my mind about my childhood or kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I would say probably more in the thick of the addiction, um, but that's definitely like when I do have my moments and sometimes they're more intense than others depending on what's going on. But that's definitely one of the things that runs through my head. It's just like, fuck it. Like I, you know what I mean? I think of that because I, I, you guys, I swear to God, I put this on everything. I had felt so disconnected from everything in this world that I, I remember thinking over and over and over again, day after day, like I have to die from this pain that I feel like the pain that I felt was so fucking intense. Like I didn't know that I could feel the pain that I felt without having a physical injury. Yo, that <clears throat> I just, I want to touch real quick on that. Um, I don't know that I have felt that particular pain, but I have felt the void. Like the, now this, we're, we're talking about our uh, finding meaning in life episode. Um, when you just feel like the void, like, and I don't know how else to describe it. It's mm -hmm. just like, you're, you're shaking your head. So, you know, yeah. you know, the I, void. So, yeah. I've also, as I mentioned on the podcast, when we're talking about complex PTSD, I've definitely felt that void of your coping skills aren't working. Nothing's working. And so it's just, you, you're in this zone where it's just like, what? There's no hope. Bro. Okay. So trigger warning. This is one of the negative thoughts that I would fucking have. Like fucking like, you're trying as hard as you can, right? The people around you that are uh, supposedly for the same goal that you're looking for aren't doing what they say they're needing to do. The rest of humanity is just the rest of humanity, okay? Like, and then yeah. there's that whole entire existential crisis. We're fucking floating through space. I'm trying as hard as I fucking can, but it's like, and it just, the, the negative thoughts just like compound and it's just like, have you been reading Fuck my journal? <laughs> Bro, I mean, <laughs> I may have peaked once or twice, but what I'm saying is... <laughs> I thought, I, I, thought um, I kept that motherfucker locked up. I, I, I need to do better. I need to move it. But what I'm saying is there's... Even though we are on this rock, right? Even though we have these existential thoughts and we have these, you know, huge traumatic feelings like keeping yourself busy. And I know it, it might seem like minute at the time, like on a grand scheme of things, like making birdhouses, like, okay, I'm making birdhouses as we're fucking going towards Armageddon. But, it, <laughs> but what's, what's important is finding meaning in your life while you are here. Because mm -hmm. if you have an entire planet full of people who are like, fuck it, could you imagine the chaos? <laughs> like, but if we have an entire planet full of people who are like, how can I help? What is it that I can do? What is my purpose? How can right. I contribute in a productive manner? Like that will extend our life on this planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all. I was telling Jacoya before we were recording, like that's something that dealing with the trauma, um, I just started fishing. Like I would drive up to the canyons, yeah. take my fishing pole and just step in the water. And the way you fish with fly fishing, is just really, you can do it anywhere basically. I would just get into it and I would just find like people that liked it, you know, and it was really soothing, you yeah, know, there you go. I, I need to go out soon. I haven't gone out in a long time, but find what works for you. Yeah. Yes. And do that shit. Yeah. So what works besides the, you know, the working out and everything, is there anything else that you've done to kind of. What works for you? Yeah. What works for you? I think just being active, right? Like I, um, I've worked really hard to create a group of friends of people who like to do the same things that I do. Um, and hiking is one of them, right? Getting oh, yeah. out and hiking. Uh, I'm trying to think. Dude, just playing with my daughter. I love playing with my daughter. Yeah. And then 
I like crime junkie podcasts. True crime. True crime. Like I get like so into it. And I th- I feel like like maybe I like such morbid shit because my life was kind of fucked up. But and, swear. You know what I mean? Swear. I'm like, <laughs> it's I don't like know. at least that didn't happen to me. Kind right? of feeling, you know. Exactly. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yo, listen to the last podcast on the left. Okay. Yeah. Swear. Change your life. So good. Um Change speaking of which, sidebar. As, uh, as co-hosts of the podcast, we're going to go up in the mountains soon and have a campfire, and you're invited. Dude, I'm invited yeah. right now. So. Okay. Well, Sweet. yeah. Have you met Hotak? Hotak? I don't think yo, so. So while we were at the U, we, um, he's, yo, I want to have Hotak on the podcast. So last little sign tangent before we get back into recovery. Um, my dude Hotak, man, from South Korea, like came here to study social work because apparently it's not, the same quality isn't available where he's around. Yeah. And so he came he was here originally when we went and got our bachelor's and then he left, came back. And so we recently took him to a pool hall down here at a bar. We never had some food. And so he said he hadn't ever been up to the mountains. So Adam says he's going to take him to the mountains during that time. My mom should be here. So I want him to meet my mom. Yeah. Like you can be here. Hell yeah. Like it can be a whole fucking thing. Bring your kid. Bring. I'm excited. Yeah, that'll be okay. awesome. Yo, yeah. It's going to be fun. Anyway, time in. Time back in. Okay, so we're on the last <laughs> few things. We're all, we're almost done. I assure you. Uh, so regarding your recovery, so like you said, you found a, a lot of you know a group of people that are similar minded of you. So I was gonna ask, like, so where are we at today? Like, how how is how are we doing today? I'm doing amazing. Um, I I still have my struggles, right? I'm a human and I'm not perfect. Uh, but just staying that gym rat mom and i'm a counselor to rehab now nice yeah badass fucking ill so here's my question um trying to get bougie trying to get bougie bougie. level the fuck that's what we're all doing out here um so going back to the connection thing i'm just fascinated by it so what would you recommend for somebody similar to you that hasn't had like a connection with somebody like whether they didn't have parents growing up or whatever how do you help them find like and also break that story of nobody loves me or i'm abandoned kind of thing right um so and i want to get into these two things i want to answer that so because i read these two things that have been shown to like really help people in recovery and i wish i had something to cite y'all i feel a little unprepared but okay it's cool the first one is to change your brain the second one is to change your tribe um and i I didn't know about that when I started my process, but that is the process that Mm -hmm. happened, right? So with the help of therapy, um, with the help of removing myself from dangerous situations and dangerous neighborhoods, dangerous groups of people, um, I was able to start experiencing um, interactions that were not detrimental or, you know, fatal. You know what I mean? Like they weren't something that I was going to be traumatized by. And it took quite a long time for me to have positive interactions with people for it to really start to sink in. But that was going into the changing my brain, right? Like I was, I don't know how to explain it. I was, cause I was so trained to have that initial flight fight response, right? Like right. that I, I feel like my amygdala, whatever it is, the hypothalamus was like mad 
beef, beefy strong, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> big beefy strong. Just, beef. Yeah, just ate the protein last night, bro. Ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Hat spaghetti. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it took and like some of it because I was aware of psychology and all that, I, I understood what I was trying to do. Mm. And so I was trying to have more positive interactions and that was like helping train my brain. And then um by surrounding myself with people who I wanted to mimic being like, you know what I mean? Rather than surrounding myself with people who are in that still addictive drug addict criminal lifestyle um, and just changing that. Yo, for sure. Yeah. Yo, I say many times and I will say it again. If I haven't said it on this podcast, I'm about to say it right now. Um, the people you keep around you says a lot about you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you want, and I say this, I say this to the kids who are at work. Okay, look real quick. The kids at work, man, like some of them who are like, oh, I'm in a gang or I want to pretend to be in a gang, all this bullshit. I'm like, okay, so the people you keep around you says a lot about you. I'm like, oh, well, what do you mean? Case in point. If your parents were, you know, famous tennis players, they would have you around a bunch of tennis folk. If your parents were fucking broadcasters, you would be around a bunch of broadcasters, fucking movie producers. If your parents were fucking law enforcement, you would have uncles and aunties who were cops and, you know, corrections officers. If your parent is a gang member, you see where I'm going with this, right. right? Like you're you're more likely to, and so I think breaking, like you said, changing your brain and then also changing your tribe, like noticing this person's not fucking going anywhere. They're doing the same shit they were doing like five years ago, but worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't fuck with that person anymore. Yeah. And it takes a lot of strength to break a generational cycle, which is, I see you doing, you yeah. know? Um, how do you, how do you do that? Like just having that story of, I don't know people that have like, not live this way and now i want to live opposite of them but i don't you know how do you start well i think it's just keep so the start was coming to the realization that it needed to happen right yep. um and i feel lucky that i had that realization and you can ask any of my friends anyone that knows me i am breaking the chain right i am breaking the chain but i still there's so many things that i do that it's like fuck i did that again or Ugh, why am I still doing this to myself? Like stuff like that. But it's that like honesty with myself, like the ability to hold myself accountable. Even if I find myself back in that situation, I'm doing and taking steps to just constantly be moving. Even if I'm like sidestepping, you yeah. know what I mean? I'm still moving. Still moving. Yeah. I'm still moving. And, and I do. I have those moments at, to, up to this day where it's just like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But the thing is, is just not letting that, not giving in, right? Like I fucked up again. That's okay. I'm gonna. Yeah. I would rather fuck up a million more times and keep going and set my daughter up, set my fucking coming family up for something better, yeah. than you know, let one little trip stop me. For sure. For yeah. sure. And I think it's important to be present in the moment. And let's say you have a relapse, or let's say you have something that happens. You know, it's it's. Like when you view your problems as kind of a mountain, you know, it's going to be hard to take any steps. But if you just say like, hey, I'll, I'll go out today. I'll mm -hmm. do this. You know, that's kind of like for people listening that are trying to change something like don't don't view it like as all at once. You know, just take that one step, whatever it is. Right. Right. And you mentioned something. You mentioned um, having that realization. You're lucky that you were able to have that realization. Right. Yeah. Like, so I feel that many people or I guess I don't like have the statistics in front of me right now, but I'd imagine many people either 
don't notice that realization because they're so wrapped up in whatever it is that they're doing or they say, you know, I, or they just genuinely just fucking just don't give a shit. And they're like, yo, I don't care. This is what I'm going to be doing. Um, so I think that's powerful. So if anyone has had, you know, these collections of moments that are saying like, yo, this is this kind of, uh, something's kind of iffy about this, yo, make do something different yeah if you want a different result you got to do something different right yeah um, i'll say if, you, if you've got a case of the fuck it's unfuck it i want to i want to add into that so this is something that was brought up at my work one day and i thought it was so cool um someone was talking about one of the other counselors was saying that when you say fuck it especially in sobriety what you're really saying is fuck me Right. Oh. Fuck me. What? Fuck what I have going. Fuck this. And you're you're throwing away shit. Wow. Your yeah. body is that's a temple. A, that's a really good perspective, right? Because mm-hmm. when we say or when we hear people say, "Yeah, fuck it, let's go have another shot," or "Hey, let fuck it, let's go," you know, whatever. Um, nine times out of ten, it's usually to the detriment of the person who said "fuck right. it." You know, right? And somehow <laughs> yeah. you're fucking yourself. Right. <laughs> In a bad way. In a bad. There's good ways and bad ways. <laughs> In a bad way. All sorts of ways. I mean, if it helps with your recovery, whatever way helps for you. Okay. So um, what what future goals do you have? Um, okay. So I'm glad you asked me that. So I, like I said, I've been going to that bougie ass gym, right? Right. right, right. And um, I'm really finding out how fascinated I, I mean, you might remember, like, remember how fascinated I was by human physiology? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the shit that I was able to remember. I was like, yeah, I could totally tell you what happens when you break your bone and why it would hurt and why it wouldn't hurt. Yeah, like, I, like, your, your face is lighting up right now. <laughs> is like, this why you like Dahmer? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> it totally could be. I'm like, totally I, I would never do that, but I get his, uh. Uh, we no, might have to have you back on an reasoning. episode for other things, but yeah, that's a, that's a different episode. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, um, and I'm, I'm noticing that like, I love social work and I think that I am a great social worker, but with my extensive trauma and, ex- and history that I have, it's just, it's really daunting on me emotionally, physically, spiritually. Right. right. And, um, so I'm hoping to one day step away from social work and, I have been thinking about it, though I don't know how serious it'll become, but I've been thinking about doing personal training. And if I stay in social work or in that area, then possibly becoming like a recreational therapist. Why do not, both. Why not do both at the same I time? I totally you could. Know? Like, why not? Like, and be like, yo, this is my fucking journey. And now you're going to give me push-ups because I told you to. <laughs> you don't get your shit together. We're going to talk about how it builds character That's on right. each one. I'll tell you. This is my retirement. <laughs> exactly. This is my retirement plan. I'm going to go like fishing with veterans and teach them like coping skills, like mindfulness when I get too tired of just being a regular therapist. You have a veteran right now. You better take me fishing. We're going fishing. Free. (laughs) For free. I'm paying for it with this podcast that we're doing right now. It's ex- fishing's hella expensive, man. So well, I mean, you just gotta counsel me for free. I'll I'll pay for all the other shit. Sure, we can just do that like after the podcast. Though. You know, <laughs> <laughs> friends. friends. What the fuck? <laughs> it's called being friends. Yo, for sure. All right. So, um, wanting to get into that that fucking physical trainer bit. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. What do you have? Any other goals? Anything else that you're like? You know what? I think I'm gonna just fucking cross that off my bucket list. Um. I'm traveling. Traveling? Yes. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, because I really, the traveling I did as a kid was home to home and couch to couch. Mm. And so I want to go beyond that and like go and travel different cultures. Do that um, yes. If you want to go to Japan, I, I'm fucking serious. I will be your guide. Hell, he still, yes. He still owes me a trip to Japan. I'd still owe my man a trip to Japan. 
Yes. We'll, we'll conclude you there because I, I still speak Japanese. I still have connections. Yeah, we're <laughs> doing cool. this. You got connections. I might take you up Only on that. Only yesterday, podcast trip to Japan. Well, we would record from Japan. How fucking cool Yo, would that be? That would be badass. Jesus, that would be cool. Yo, you know what? Badass. Yo, you said it. It might yeah. have to happen. Bro. It might need to happen. Yeah. I swear. And it might have to be on there. That would be so again. cool. Be so um, my question for you with your, with your child and stuff, how do you explain to them your upbringing and how to kind of avoid all this stuff? Like, what are you, what are you going to talk about? Like, how are you going to answer those questions? So that is a very good question. And my daughter, she's turning four this November. So in about a month, she turns four. So I haven't really gotten to the explaining complex issues with her yet but what I have been doing is um because one thing uh one thing that I really wanted to be her dad is schizoaffective Mm -hmm. and I have CPTSD and anxiety and all right and so like one thing that's been really important to me is making sure that if she does end up having any kind of mental health issues of her own like she had a good example and I've also just with my sister having her my sister's schizophrenic and so like with that like watching how that affected my sister's kids I really made it a goal to process shit with my daughter and so from a very young age like I've had blow-ups where I blow up I freak out I scream right or I'm like having a flashback or I become disassociative for a few hours or something like that right and when I do get to a point where I'm like I mean obviously I'm still able to take care of my daughter especially while I'm on my medications right um but once I get to a point where I can talk to her, I you know I pull her in and tell her, you know, mommy gets grumpy sometimes, or you know, it's normal for us to feel this way. It's, you know, it's okay to feel upset, you know, stuff like that. And so, I'm kind of thinking that like as she gets older, I'll just continue on that, just normalizing emotions um, and processing, especially if we have some kind of like when I have a blow up or when she has a blow up because she's had many, and I was just like, "You are my child." You know, like <laughs> oh. little baby blow ups. So yeah, little baby. Blow-ups. That's interesting because Tony and I, or at least me, we want to write children's books educating kids about that kind of shit. Like that would be yo, so be cool. Yo, we mentioned it on one of the episodes, and again, if anyone's listening, that's going to try to steal that idea. Fuck you. Don't because I want I want my money. Okay, <laughs> like so, like yeah, we like little monsters or something like little. But yeah, that that is another story. Yeah. So yeah, normalizing discussing difficult topics is mm-hmm. what this podcast is wanting to do. Right? Yeah. So we can discuss these types of things. Um. So, so what can we do? Right. So again, we can work on detox we can do inpatient we can do outpatient we can reach out to other people but none of this shit will happen none of it will matter none of it will make the slightest bit of difference if that person is not ready to join that journey themselves right so you can have all the backup you can have all the support you want you can have all the fucking money funding you want for this person you can be a rich person Mm -hmm. and until that person's ready it you have to you have to be open and you have to be patient have to be willing to work with this person so yo we got anything else i don't think so just take that first step whatever it is you know whether it's whatever tony said or you know getting into treatment or yeah it's just there's help out there um i work with people who have felt like their life was over and just totally destroyed and they're out there rebuilding shit and just rebuilding relationships and so it's totally possible Mm -hmm. for sure so yeah recovery is possible and it sure. works if you work it because we're all worth it. Hey, <laughs> tell them. So if you or anyone you know are struggling with issues relating to substance use, substance abuse, addiction, recovery, 
please reach out. Please seek help. Please be there for one another. This world is wild. This world is crazy. But we're fucking trying. And I think that should be worth something. Yeah, well, amen. Yeah. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. Don't come for me. No, but this is actually fun. It's informative because I've already learned a couple of things that I didn't know or things that I hadn't thought about.